From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Ayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WisPolitics.com. He provides a roundup of the Wisconsin developments you need to know. Here's our latest conversation. Hi, J.R. Good to talk to you. You too. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. So it's another week of Wisconsin politics with the primary election tomorrow, actually. The state has a crucial state Supreme Court race that could really tip the ideological balance of the court. It's a nonpartisan race, so none of the candidates have an R or a D next to their names, but they have partisan leanings and are supported by conservatives or liberals. Who are the political insiders thinking have the best chances in the April general election and why? So... The general consensus has been that Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judge Janet Proce, which is probably the best bet to make it through, the question is who comes with her. Now, bear in mind, this is a four-person primary. There's no liberal primary or conservative primary. It's one pot of candidates. The top two vote-getters emerge. So you could have, in theory, two liberals or two conservatives get through. The going wisdom right now is that uh, Proce, which gets through, she's uh, raised close to $2 million already. She spent $1.25 million of her own on TV. There's signs that the Democratic establishment's kind of coalescing around her. Uh, people like Herb Cole have endorsed her campaign. So there's a feeling that she's really got a good shot to get through. Then you have the other liberal, uh, Everett Mitchell, a Dane County Circuit Court judge, just has not had the resources to really kind of get his name out there or get up on TV, uh, communicate his message. So if, you're, if we have a, a 50-50 liberal conservative electorate turnout on Tuesday, there's not be much of a split, people don't think, of the liberal vote. So there's that. On the conservative side, you have uh, former Justice Daniel Kelly, uh, who was on the court after being appointed by Scott Walker. He lost his bid in 2020 for a full 10-year term. And then you have Jennifer Doro, the Waukesha County Circuit Court judge who oversaw the, the Waukesha Christmas Parade trial. Um, and looking at that dynamic, for a long time, the perception was that Doro had uh, an edge for electability. The argument was that Kelly had already lost a race one time uh, by 10 points, albeit he shared the ballot with the Democratic presidential primary at the time, so that probably impacted turnout, but he still lost by a healthy margin. Uh, there's a thought that there'd be a better shot to have a young, younger female candidate on the conservative side, especially with abortion, expected to be a big issue um, this spring. So there's an electability argument for Doro. You know, she had this buzz about her. Uh, from the parade trial. She was raising more money. What we're seeing, though, in the closing weeks is a real influx of cash um, helping Daniel Kelly. There's a group called Fair Courts America. Uh, it's largely funded by Dick Uline, an Illinois businessman and kind of GOP mega donor. They've put about oh, 2.3 million-ish uh, up on TV and radio so far praising Kelly. Meanwhile, you have groups like A Better Wisconsin Together, who have banded together to raise, oh, to spend about uh, 2.3 or 4 million against Doro and anti-Doro ads. Now, for a better Wisconsin together, part of that is because they think she might be a stronger general election candidate, and they want to try to, if she gets through, soften her up or maybe help Kelly get through. Uh, and there's a lot of money being spent now. Doro and those backing her, you know, they've spent uh, $700,000 on everything. Then you have also some anti-Protosay, which adds about. 750k. You add it all up, and we're talking like 7.7 million dollars spent already at the primary. 
the record Wisconsin Supreme Court race for spending was $9.8 million. We're not even through the primary yet, and we're hitting these kind of numbers. So it tells you just what's at stake in this race and just how much money is going to come in as we move toward April because of what could happen. Yeah, I know a lot of columnists are talking about this could be the most expensive Supreme Court race in Wisconsin history. I think some even said we're banding about like the most expensive judicial race in U.S. history. Yeah. I don't I don't know if we'll see. But do you expect that to really have a dent in what's usually expected to be a pretty low turnout race? It's an excellent question. All this money being put on TV, usually, you know, you're talking turnout is not very impressive for spring primaries. There isn't a whole lot to drive them. You know, a half million, 600,000 people might turn out um, maybe on Tuesday, unless there's a really supercharged electorate. That remains to be seen. So is TV, for example, the best way to reach them? That's why you see a lot of digital ads these days. You see mail pieces. They can really go at voters who regularly turn out for that February primary and trying their message to them. So, But also, it's not just being spent because of the primary. It's being spent because of the general election. Again, like with Portisawich, if she gets through as expected – why wait until after Tuesday to start running ads against her if you're a conservative? I mean, why not start now? Uh, if Dora were to get through, why not start now in trying to define her? It's really an effort by everybody to, to find the people involved and kind of start laying down markers ahead of that April election when so much is at stake. Well, and of course, abortion is a big issue that the state Supreme Court will be taking up after the election of a new justice. It'll decide a lawsuit about whether the like, 1849 law that bans abortion in almost all circumstances is enforceable. Do you see that as an issue that's really mobilizing voters in, what's, you know, in, this, in this election? Oh, it's interesting to watch how heavily Porto which is leaning into that issue. So remember, that lawsuit is still at Dane County Circuit Court. Uh, we haven't really seen any signs of a decision coming anytime soon. But once one comes down, you can be sure there's going to be an appeal uh, and eventually go to the state Supreme Court, probably after the new justice is seated, you know, sometime in late summer. Uh, say which is leaning into that issue because she sees it as something that motivates people. Now, there's, I've had people warn there's got to be a kind of a walking a tightrope sometimes with this because remember the 2019 Supreme Court race, Brian Hagedorn, uh, the conservative candidate at the time, uh, he had association with a, a private school that, you know, banned, I believe, a gay staff member, something like that. And there was a thought that liberals went too far in attacking Hagedorn over that association. It made him sympathetic to conservatives who then rallied to his side and helped him get over the top. So if you're attacking Doro or Kelly, if they get through for their personal religious beliefs, that maybe would turn off voters. So you got to use the issue the right way is what I'm saying, according to people I talk to. And so for Potosewicz, she's saying, I support Owen's right to choose. They're leading into that issue and making clear that, you know, if you're somebody's a voter who's motivated by abortion, who's motivated by a desire, a, a, an unhappiness over the U.S. Supreme Court overturning that right to an abortion, then she's your candidate, essentially. You know, some of these judges are getting criticized for what could be interpreted as lenient sentences on the bench, specifically conservative candidate Jennifer Doro and um, now recently liberal candidate Janet Protasewicz. And, and Doro is getting criticized for her time as a criminal defense attorney, which is, in fact, a position guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment to the yep. Constitution. Do you see this as, as problematic, or do you see this as impacting voters? Just about every judge in Wisconsin who sits in a criminal court has got at least one or two cases in his or her background that would 
be good fodder for a TV ad in a Supreme Court race. It's just a fact of life. You know, you, you agree to plea deals, um, things like that. Uh, it's just, it's, it's tough. So that's one argument you're not now hearing from Daniel Kelly's kind of supporters is that when it comes to the soft on crime tag, he's a quote unquote cleaner candidate than Doro is because he doesn't have those things in his background. You know, he only served in the Supreme Court. He wasn't a circuit court judge or on the appeals court. There's one case where he represented some people as a private attorney that, you know, it can be fodder for a, an ad, but he doesn't have these cases of, you know, like Proto which now getting dinged for, I think, several people accused of child rape or something like that, not given probation, not uh, prison time. He doesn't have those things. Making the argument of if this is going to be a crime-driven election, then maybe he has an advantage over Doro. If it's Doro versus Proto which I can guarantee you, you're going to see a ton of ads um, this spring about cases they handled and how they handled them. Uh, they'll get, it'll be a rather negative campaign going forward. All right. Another big election for southeastern Wisconsin is the primary and the special election for the 8th Senate District. It's important to note this is a partisan primary, so it's to mm-hmm. replace Republican Alberta Darling. Democratic candidate jo- Jody Sinekin is running uncontested, but there are three Republicans on the ballot, including Representative Janelle Branchin, who's been a vocal election denier and has been endorsed by former President Trump. Other candidates are Representative Dan Nodal of Germantown and Thienesville President Van Mobley. What can you tell us about the latest on that race? You are seeing an interesting dynamic play out where Republicans and Democrats believe that Janelle Branchin is the weakest of the three Republicans. There's an effort by Republicans to maybe prevent her from getting through and by Democrats to elevate her in that primary. Now, let's big picture of this seat. This is not a swing seat. This is a 55% Republican seat. However, um, in the fall in the governor's race, Tim Michael has got about 51.5%. In that race, it was viewed that abortion was something that hurt Michaels with suburban voters. Some other issues didn't help him with those voters as well. So the thought is that if you have the right conditions, you can maybe make this race swingy, even competitive. And Democrats got a great recruit in Jody Habersinikin. She's got a great background our family owns a manufacturing facility, some textile facility of some sort. She's an environmental lawyer. She's got, been raising really good money, in fact, outraising the entire Republican field by herself. And if abortion is going to be an issue in the spring, which we all expect it will be, having a professional female candidate, you know, a, a professional in terms of like something in a professional background, suburban female candidate speaking to suburban professional uh, voters that's probably a good thing on the abortion issue, right? So there's a lot of good stuff going for her. But even with all that happening, this is not a swing seat. It's a Republican one. So is that by itself enough, that great profile, the great numbers, enough? Or does she need the right candidate to get through the primary to have a chance to win? Um, the arguments we made that Janelle Branchin uh, would be the kind of voter or candidate who would turn off those suburban voters. Uh, Jody's ads, for example, have elevated Branchin's position on abortion, that she's just too extreme too conservative. And there's a reason for that. They're trying to appeal to like primary, Republican primary voters and saying, here's your real conservative. This is the one you should really be paying attention to. Um, she's the, you know, the one you should be supporting if you want the real deal. Um, now, Trump's endorsement of Branchin is interesting. Uh, it kind of came late. I don't know if it's enough to really get out in the ether for voters to kind of sink in, but that might be more an issue for her in the, the general election if she gets through. But we're also seeing some groups along with Republicans spending money either to help Knodel or oppose Branchin. So Branchin's got basically that 
that passion of the Trump part of the base in that district, the former president's endorsement, but not a whole lot of money. There's not much being spent on her behalf. So are those things enough to overcome that financial advantage? Because, well, you know, Canola's got stuff going for him, but also Van Mobley's been up on TV. He put 100000 bucks on money in the campaign, and he's on TV. He's communicating to voters. So it's really going to be interesting to watch. That, that, that primary is totally a toss-up right now. All right. Well, thanks for helping us unpack the political news, JR, and thanks for joining me on Capital Notes. Anytime. That was J.R. Ross of WizPolitics.com speaking with me, WUWM's Maayan Silver. Listen for our segments every Monday with an extended segment on Lake Effect and check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.